Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Christian oversees all aspects of agency operations at T3, drawing from 20 plus years experience for some of the world's leading design and technology consulting firms. He works across all T3 clients and offices focused on scalable growth, innovation, and fostering a creative and diverse culture within the agency. During his career, Christian has managed the development of integrated digital experiences across mobile, social, and commerce clients in retail, healthcare, financial services, and entertainment. Prior to T3, Christian was Group Vice President at Razorfish, leading the Austin office operations. He also led the Austin presence for Sapient Nitro, built out the global delivery function for Frog Design, and managed the UX design, strategy, and content team at AT AT&T. He studied visual design in college and started his career as a typesetter and freelance designer in Chicago. He created his first digital experiences in the mid-1990s and worked on the original online edition of the Chicago Tribune. On weekends, Christian has been known to burn some racing cars and sailing boats. So that's awesome, Christian. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks for having me. No, this is great. So um, just before we hopped on, you mentioned that you were based in, in Austin. Um, what do you think you like most about the Austin market just for the, not just the tech sector, but like the business sector as a whole? Yeah, Austin's incredibly entrepreneurial. Um, we have a lot of VC in the community. Um, big investments from Google and Facebook and Amazon all and, and Apple all starting uh, a large presence here, uh, which has really infused the culture in the community with a lot of great creative technology um, and, and, and really entrepreneurial um, vibes that have made Austin really a great place to not only to live and to raise a family, but also to, to build a great business, attract talent, retain talent. Mm, yeah, it's a great market. I love the city. There are lots of great friends there. So tell us a little bit about T3, just, um, you know, the d- design technology um, or, or the agency operations. Tell us what T3 does just so we have an understanding. Yeah, we, um, we technically, what, what's in our DNA is um, creating useful brands and we build the experiences that power those, those brands. And what we mean by that is we believe today in today's market, uh, a lot of advertising agencies and marketing agencies um, help clients talk about work. Um, and we believe that our clients need to earn the right to talk about that work, which means they need to be use- useful. Um, and when we talk about that, uh, usefulness has uh, a few dimensions that are really important, that we believe are really important. Things like having brand-defining utilities, that, and those are features and functions and applications that actually live up to the brand um, DNA um, that those brands need to put into the world purposeful content, not just content for content's sake, but content that um, meets human needs and business needs. Um, Those brands need to uh, provide connected experiences, experiences that are holistic and connected and meaningful across touch points, whether that's uh, in print or across social channels, uh, applications, websites, et cetera. So um, that's what we do. And we do that by, what I like to say is we make things and we market things and we ultimately drive customer loyalty uh, for our clients. 
And who, who would your typical clients be? Some of our uh, clients today include UPS um, and 7-Eleven uh, and Pizza Hut are some of our large clients. We also do, mm. we work in a uh, digital agency of record capacity for waste management. And we also work for 7-Eleven. So some pretty big, pretty big brands there. Some pretty big brands. Um, and then we also do we work for some smaller, smaller brands as well. Um, we started working on some media for uh, Bumble, which is a local uh, Austin company. Uh, we also do some work for some smaller restaurant brands like Hop Dotty and Torchy's Tacos mm. uh, and High Hospitality. It's actually cool. One of one of the uh, podcasts I did about halfway through was from the uh, with the second in command of Bumble. Really? And, uh, yeah, I did a really cool interview with them. We're talking with her about um, just their expansion into the India marketplace and then also into the um, the Bumble Friends app. Um, oh yeah, which I think was really really. You know, I said it'll be bigger than the dating app. Actually, I think there's just such a huge issue with kind of adults and loneliness and. Um, connectivity now that, that um, I think it could be really big. Talk about the, uh, the connected experience. What did that mean? Yeah. So that's really uh, everything from the branding of those experiences. So you know, I've been working on this with clients for a very, very long time. It's really easy for a brand to get messy in the marketplace. And I mean, everything from, you know, traditional brand police around logo and, and, uh, uh, use of typography and voice and tone, those things need to be basic. Those are basics, block and tackle consistency across all touch points. And that should be relatively easy. Um, the hard part is when a lot of times uh, in large client organizations, those, uh, those channels are oftentimes managed by different parties and different groups um, which means it's it's easy to, to handle from a creative standpoint. It's hard to operationalize that within a client because those owners are competing for budget in a lot of cases. And so we need to prove to them that the value of an integrated, consistent brand experience is more valuable to their customers than, um, than, than putting your brand out in the world that's dilutive. And so the brand experience should be accretive. Um, and so there's a branding component. And then there's also... Um, as you look across the customer journey from beginning to end across all touch points, there's experiential consistency as well. So if we want to um, drive, if we want to drive awareness of even an offer or um, uh, in the, an offer of what Hallmark or any other client is trying to, to drive um, in the purchase path, that, that engagement. And once we hand people off into that commerce flow, that engagement needs to be seamless. Um, and that's not just content, but that's feature, that's feature richness, it's engagement, and making sure that those connect, connection points are, are integrated. Um, so it feels like one company. And it, it really, that's, it's a manifestation of large organizations growing up through multiple acquisitions, multiple teams, and, and creating digital products and putting them out in the world in an unintegrated fashion. And today's consumers expecting those experiences to evolve and revolve around their needs, not necessarily the needs of the organization. And that's where we come in to, to make those experiences more connected, more meaningful. Okay. Now were you guys founded in Austin? We were, we were founded in, in Austin in 1989. 
Okay, 89. So it's right when I was graduating college. So, and you're one of the biggest woman owned um, ad agencies. Is that correct? We are. Uh, Gay Gaddis started the company uh, in 89. And, and we've remained uh, woman owned and operated for the past 30 years now. So how do you and she get on the same page? You know, you joined the company three years ago. She's been running the company for 30 years. How do you, how do you, is that 40 years, 30 years? How do you get into the, I'm starting to lose track of decades. How do you get into an organization when, you know, the founder is 25, 30 years or 25, 27 years in, and and then you've got to kind of catch up to speed. How did you, um, how did you get in sync with her? Why do you think she wanted you to be in the CEO role? Maybe walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, it was part, um, it was honestly not easy. Um, and, and, and part of the reason uh, is that T3 has historically been very innovative in the application of, of capabilities. And so when T3 started 30 years ago, did a lot of direct mail and a lot of print work and has consistently been one step ahead of where the market is um, working early days uh, in the internet and, and working with Dell and on the original uh, Dell.com um, and then became an early player in digital and has been transformational through its 30 year history. Mm. Um, and, and for me sort of <laughs> drafting on, on that transformation in this point of time, I joined three years ago was the company was really ready to take the next step and to identify new capabilities um, that would continue to differentiate T3 in the marketplace. Um, so once we started having conversations about what's next for T3, that that getting in sync that you asked about became much more natural and much more clear of the role that I could play. Um, so joining as, as the chief operating officer at a time when some other leadership changes uh, were also taking place. Ben Gaddis, mm-hmm. who is the president uh, of the company now, also moved into that role three years ago, and we had some other leadership changes. Um, and what I've been doing since then is identifying and helping to build and operationalize capabilities that will continue us uh, continue uh, the transformation and keeping us very relevant and differentiated in the marketplace. So what do you think she saw in you to bring you in? Because I, I would imagine that they had quite a good, you know, solid senior team. Why would they pick someone to come in from the outside to come in as a COO? I think the experience that, um, that I've had at larger agencies uh, like Sapient Nitro and, and Frog, as well as having been a client and a buyer of those services, which for me is still... I look back on that time and although the the pace of working uh, internally isn't exactly what I'm looking for personally, the the learning sort of the ability to be empathetic of when I meet with a client today of of what they're going through and and how, and what they need to do to be successful within a large, very large complex organization. Um, I think the combination of of that, of those experiences, um, as well as culture fit, you know, it's a small, uh, we're about 200 people, I guess. Um, culture is very, very important, especially being a family-owned company. It's very familial mm-hmm. in, in its culture. And I think, um, so a combination of past experience, um, some, uh, I believe, a, a good culture fit, and a passion for uh, building an organization are probably the three primary reasons. 
What about um, what about the the relationship between you and Gay then? So you've got you know the CEO, founding CEO, who's got to be quite entrepreneurial, um, but is now running you know a two hundred person organization, and then you come in three years ago as COO. What kind of style differences were there? Because you've you've worked in bigger corporations, bigger agencies. Uh, were there any style differences that you guys had to get in sync with, and how did you do that? Not really. That I mean, that part was really really somewhat seamless. Um, maybe partly because. Gay uh, and I are the same uh, Myers-Briggs and have a very similar communication style. Um, It really hasn't been that that big of a challenge. Any any management challenges you guys have to work through at all? Or has it been pretty easy? Um, uh, The the challenges have been in building out new capabilities. so we have, in the past three years, uh, built out a product design function in organization that I can speak to uh, in more depth later. Um, we also built out um, a loyalty practice and a CRM practice all in the three year, all in the last three years. And then in the first year, the other thing is we experienced about twenty five to. 28% growth on the revenue side. So hmm. we found ourselves um, developing new capabilities, but also ingesting a lot of new work and, and therefore a lot of new talent as well from a recruiting standpoint in order to deliver on that work. Something I'm curious about, you mentioned earlier that that you kind of got your roots in the original print and uh, direct mail days. It seems like there's a bit of a movement back to, I'm not sure about print, but certainly back to the direct mail side. Are you seeing anything there? We haven't seen too much on the direct mail side, uh, honestly. I think digital, you know, I I look at social and the way that we're able to target uh, social in the marketplace today has sort of taken the place of of direct mail in a lot of ways. So you're not doing any of that with any of your clients then? We're not. How about um, as an agency? I mean, the, the old marketing... Um, you know, that we've been told by dentists that we have to go to a dentist twice a year. And then we've been told in the marketing world that we have to spend 8% of, to 10% of revenue on marketing. What percent do you guys spend on marketing advertising of T3? Ah, that's a great question. Um, we, we don't spend a whole lot, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm okay, and I'm, okay if, I'm okay if it's low. I've yet to find an ad agency that spends over 2%, it seems. Yeah, we, we're definitely lower than that. Uh, we don't we don't spend a whole lot. Um, a lot of our a lot of our work um, comes inbound through uh, a lot of our, our clients move to other organizations and bring us along. Um, we have a great relationship with um, a few analysts uh, like Forrester and Gartner that provide great referrals to us as inbound leads. Uh, we also do, we have some gated content that, um, as people download, then that, that provides an opportunity for us to follow up with them. And then we've been really successful at speaking at conferences and hosting events that are typically industry related, um, and specifically in the restaurant space as of late. That's interesting. Is that a big, um, uh, a big market that you guys are moving into, or do you have some depth in that market already? Yeah, we purposefully moved into the restaurant space, uh, about two years ago. And we went from two restaurant clients to 19 restaurant clients. Um, they're not all currently active, but, but 
we've um, we found that there's there's a bit of a confluence of things happening in the restaurant space. One, there is um, there are a lot of SaaS based uh, software providers that are providing online ordering, loyalty, CRM. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that in that space right now. Uh, customer expectations are very high set based on other digital experiences in, in retail environments. So customers are coming to those restaurant brands expecting a level of um, personalization and service that maybe they hadn't expected um, in the past. And we've uh, been lucky to, to form a, a pretty strong point of view about how to meet customer demands in that in that market. And sort of those three things we've purposefully um, uh, doubled down on and, and talk about in the marketplace. And um, it's generated a lot of a lot of demand for our services in the past, I'd say two and a half to three years. That's funny. One of my favorite restaurants is um, Dreamland Barbecue. And I think they're based in that kind of area in Austin and down in Salt Lake, another one in the Austin marketplace. Oh, yeah. You guys have good, good barbecue down there. Um, we do. <laughs> it's I'm curious who's going to get into running the restaurants without having actual physical locations and we'll move away from the physical location based restaurants to just kind of run commissaries and having people order their food and um, you know maybe they run one or two locations but instead of having 20 they run all their food just out of some big warehouse somewhere yeah we definitely see the trend we actually talked to a, a concept that is is they're providing ghost kitchens white labeled kitchens and can change their menu um, based on seasonality, uh, geography, and are really unencumbered by, you know, big capital expenditures. They can change their mm-hmm. menu on the fly based on what people are ordering and buying, and right. they can be very dynamic in what they're providing from a, a delivery standpoint. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, so many restaurants make all their money off the the beverage side, right? And selling alcohol or selling soft drinks. It's going to be interesting to see how they make the shift when they're just selling their food at a slight discount. And they can't make their margin on that too. Yeah. How about competing what? against, um, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the, you know, like a lot of things, I think um, you know, digital has disrupted and transformed a lot of experiences. And I, I would foresee a time when the actual experience, so actually going into a restaurant um, and, and having a very uh, bespoke uh, and unique experience is actually becomes a differentiator and one that um, restaurants invest in and actually in is profitable. Um, I think I think we'll see some of those experiences coming back. Yeah, more like the entertainment side of it than just actually going for a meal. Right. Yeah, I was at a, a great restaurant in... Um, in London, England, about uh, two or three months ago, that was like that. I can't remember the name of the darn place to save my life, but um, it was incredible. I just kept taking photographs every time I turned around to the space. So you're in a really competitive market, as you mentioned earlier, that Apple's in that market, Google's in the market, and and I would kind of imagine that the war on talent, especially on the technology side, but also in the marketing design side, is probably pretty strong. How do you? stack not stack up against them but how do you um, go out to market against them and recruiting in in that marketplace in the austin marketplace yeah that's that's always been tough and i think always will be um i mean we start with uh with great benefits quite honestly um we've got a really great um benefits program we've got a lot of healthy good time off that we offer as a competitive differentiator pay time off um and then, and then we focus on the work and actually uh, talking about the work that um, candidates would be, would be able to do at T3 as well as how the work gets done. 
And what I mean by that is a, a whole heck of a lot of autonomy. Um, you know, so we are a gritty, scrappy, um, very flat organization. And so we bring people in at any level. The expectation is that they're going to be able to do what they want to do. And that's, that's the type of people that we hire. Um, and, and usually in, in a creative environment, that is, that's very attractive for candidates. So we talk about the work a lot. Mm. Um, and the work that people will be able to do and how, the, and how they'll be able to do it on their own terms. Um, and then we did things like, you know, last, last year we, we did away with, um, with time reporting, um, which for, you know, an That's agency huge. is, is kind of a big deal, you know? And, um, and when we first, when, when we first started talking about this, you know, the initial reaction, my own reaction was like, there's no way in hell that we can get rid of time cards. Because that's that's the currency by which you manage the, the agency, right? Um, and you know, we worked we worked through that. Uh, we got some help from um, uh, someone by the name of Blair Enns, who wrote a book called Pricing Creativity, uh, which is great. I, I highly recommend it. And, and Blair as a as a consultant. Um, and we and what that's enabled us to do is is we we looked at the number of, of hours that the agency spends tracking entering and managing time. It was about 20% crazy. of crazy. our time as an agency is spent tracking time <laughs> that nobody so gets value for. That, no one, no one gets value for. So we took that, we took that 20% and we gave it back to the agency so that we, they can focus on doing great work and, or, you know, uh, focusing on them on their own uh, work-life balance, which is so far has had uh, really, really positive effects. That's really cool. I love when we just start getting rid of the old legacy systems from the seventies and eighties and just start saying, well, you know, this doesn't make sense anymore and not necessarily trying to optimize or automate those systems, but actually, cause that's where I think a lot of people make mistakes is they try to, you know, okay, we've always been doing time tracking. We need to automate that. Well, you guys just said, why don't we just throw that out? Like we don't need it at all. And that's way better to just stop doing something than to automate or outsource something. Yeah. It's, we got, we, we spent so much time trying to make it better and then realizing that we're actually measuring the wrong things, mm. right? Measuring hours as an input throughout the entire agency, uh, we were focused on the wrong thing because what we want to focus on is is creating value for our clients, and we want to measure the outcomes and outputs of that value, not the actual inputs, meaning the hours. Um, which has also changed the way that we price things because if you take hours out of the equation, then in talking to a new client for a new piece of work, we're not talking about how long it's going to take or how many hours it's going to take. We talk about the value that we're going to deliver and the outcomes. And, um, and of course we still do, you know, like any other agency, we do bottom up estimate to ensure that we understand the level of effort uh, to deliver that value. But, but we're not pricing it based on hours because it's also a false constraint and very um, it's sort of, it's, it's a definitely a false constraint. And it also, um, it, it ties your effort to your price. And if, as, as, as you know, in a creative agency that if you tie the price to the effort, uh, you're always going to erode margins, uh, whether yeah. that means you go over, but you go over time, um, or you negotiate your price down from a, a very low starting point. Um, so this is up. interesting. What else do you think you're killing or what else do you think you're stopping at the same time? Is there anything you're, you guys are iterating inside of the business that you used to do that now it just doesn't make sense anymore? as if that one weren't big enough. <laughs> <It's> huge. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's the big one that we're focused on uh, for the time. But, but again, part of our, our culture is to, 
uh, as I mentioned before, is to continuously innovate. And that's not just for our clients and the way that they engage with their customers, but also, you know, how we operate within our own agency. And, and so that, that's the big one for this year. And I'm, I'm sure as we look to planning for next year, we'll, we'll identify the other, uh, some other constraints that we might be able to blow up to, to be a better agency. Tell me, tell me about the different meeting rhythms that you guys have got. I mean, you're running a pretty large size company. I'm curious as to how, um, how you run the different styles of meetings that you have and how you can orbit the giant hairball as well, how you just avoid getting corporate or bureaucratic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's definitely one thing that we've uh, focused a lot of time on. So we've got some, we've got some standing uh, meetings and, and rituals that I think are, are actually really valuable and really important. We've got, a weekly all agency stand up. So every morning at nine fifteen, um, typically uh, Ben uh, Gaddis, our president, will walk through the what's happening this week, what happened last week, and what's happening this week. Fifteen minutes, all agency. Um, we've got people in multiple locations, and we use a Google Hangout, and it's all on video. Um, mm-hmm. But that just keeps people. It's not a huge time commitment. It's not a big. Uh, doesn't take a lot of prep, but it keeps everyone. Uh, informed uh, and engaged about what's important, one, um, but also what's happening. And so it's a, just a very simple tactic that uh, is really good for for overall um, engagement um, and and morale. Um, and the other the other couple of standing type of meetings that we have we have a um, account uh, account growth meeting. So. Um, what I've seen in other agencies, it's really easy to become complacent. Uh, so every week we have an account growth meeting where we bring in the, the account leads, um, but we also bring in people that aren't working on that account. And it's really a brainstorm. We, we get together and we talk about what else could we be doing for that client. Um, and so if it's, a, if it's a social media client, it's just good to talk about, you know, what can we do from a product design standpoint or, or a, a, a development standpoint or a strategy or innovation. Mm. Um, so that keeps things fresh and we rotate. Um, we have one account per week and we just cycle through them uh, in that regard. And then we also have on the flip side, we've got an account health every, uh, every week as well. An account and is, health? Yeah, account health, which is, okay. is, as it sounds, it's, it's really focusing the account growth is focusing on what can be and the account health is focusing on current health of the, the team, the client relationship, uh, the fiscal health of the, of the account. Uh, so that, that one's a little bit more close, uh, closer in. Um, and I'd say those are the three that and we try to keep it really light on the, the standing meetings because, you know, we, we, we need to create time and space for people to do the work and not get caught up in meetings all day. Um, so I think those are three that, that stand out uh, on top of mind right now. Um, we also have an executive leadership team meeting where you know, we meet quarterly and, and talk about where the agency's headed and, and strategy and where we should be going as well. Cool. Tell me about your, the employees. It used to be, you know, years ago, um, I guess probably even back when Gay started the agency, it used to be that you hired a lot of juniorish people to bring them into the marketing advertising world, really people that were maybe right out of, um, you know, their business degree. They weren't necessarily out of an MBA. They're out of an undergraduate degree. Maybe they had some design ideas or they were creatives or customer service, but you really were bringing in those early post, you know, just graduating university people. And then they kind of had to 
bash it out and um, and kind of pay their dues and grow with the organization and be successful. But my guess is that now, because of how much more specialized marketing has become, has that changed? It has changed a bit, but I, I will say though that that we still have. Um, We've got a very, very, um, we've got a great intern program. Um, we had 20 interns uh, last summer and we ended up hiring a lot of those interns and, and it's a very, very healthy program. It's robust and it, it's, it's, it's definitely where we find um, some of the greatest young talent mm. uh, is through that program. Now, when, since we have specialized in, in areas like product design and, and loyalty and CRM as an agency, as well as restaurant, we've hired leads uh, to run those um, run those practice areas and they typically have more experience than, than some, someone just out of college, but we definitely keep it um, a, a pretty good balance of uh, junior and senior. How do you structure your intern program? Is it just a, a four month kind of summer program or is it longer than that? It is a summer program. Um, our people and culture team, uh, led by Joe Prentice, does a fantastic job of, of structuring that program. Um, they they feel like a class. They feel like a community. They learn about the agency, and then they actually work on things, um, which is great. And then they also work on an intern uh, project, and as a, as a team. And, and the last intern uh, class worked on the future of retail, and then they presented it to the leadership team at, at the end of the summer. Mm. Um, and so it is traditional in the fact that it's a, it's a summer program. Um, it's not traditional in the sense that we typically extend a lot of those interns beyond the summer and, or hire several of them after the, their internship. Sure. Are you, um, a fully office-based team or do you have any remote employees at all? We have, uh, headquartered in Austin and the majority of our, our folks are here, um, we've got uh, uh, an office in Atlanta, um, which is growing uh, quite a bit based on uh, we, we hired our head of product design in Atlanta, um, and she is um, building out that, that group there. And we also have some local clients in Atlanta, which makes it uh, nice to have people close. Um, we've got a small contingent in New York and in San Francisco. And then on top of that, we do have um, a few remote folks, you know, in you mentioned, you know, the war for talent and in some cases, uh, you know, we, we don't really care where people are located right? Um, as long as they're able to, uh, you know, collaborate remotely and the tools today allow, allow for that pretty seamlessly. That was actually um, my next question is what, what tools are you using to allow your teams to collaborate and work remotely? Uh, the or big, even to work big, in I mean, the office. Yeah, we, we are a, um, we're a Google shop, so we use all uh, Google Docs and Slides and Hangout um, and Slack uh, for communication and email. And those, are, those are really sort of the, the ones that people are using most frequently. And then we, um, our, our people and culture team implemented uh, a platform called Lattice, uh, which is also nice for not necessarily remote workers, but but it really is a nice um, sort of goal setting and goal management uh, tool. It's not old school like with ratings and things like that, but it allows us to collaborate and talk about what people are doing and and to um, recognize people for great work as it happens, as opposed to you know once a year review cycles and things like that. Okay, so um, any any marketing specific tools that you guys are using? 
Um, like what? Um, like Basecamp or anything on the project management side? No, uh, we don't use, we do not use Basecamp. Um, all of the Basecamp-like um, tools, we use Confluence um, and we use Jira on the development side. And then the majority of our tool set for project management and collaboration and resourcing are, are all on uh, uh, Google. Okay, makes sense. Google sheet based. Um, very how, about, how about your team? Who who reports into you? Um, so we, I have um, a team of portfolio leads, and the way that we've structured our our what I'll call our delivery organization, which is our um, producers, program managers, and product managers, sit in a client or client engagement organization. Um, and so we've divided up our client work into four portfolios and those portfolios have portfolio leads and we look to them to run those portfolios as almost like mini CEOs or GMs of those portfolios mm. and they're clusters of accounts that uh, aren't necessarily industry vertical aligned they're it's like work similar work together which means that there's some subject matter expertise and language and um, sharing of resources amongst those accounts and um, portfolio leads then run run those businesses um, and we've got account folks and client engagement folks that um, that work for them and so those portfolio leads report to me um, and unlike some other uh, CEO roles um, I also have several of the discipline leads reporting to me like the product design head of product design mm -hmm. head of uh, connections which is our um, social and media uh, capability, our chief intelligence officer, our head of operations are all uh, directly reported to me. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the, I think the, the different roles um, or one of the different things about the COO role is that in every company, it's completely different. And it really is the counterbalance between the areas the CEO is really strong and passionate on, um, usually kind of report into the CEO and then all the other areas tend to report into the COO. The, um, Thinking about about your team, is there anything that you are focusing on in terms of growing their capabilities at all? Uh, certainly, I mean this. That's one of you know. It's, it's probably I spend a half or a third of my time um, on just that, um, and part of it is ensuring that people have the tools and the space that they need to to really own their domain, whether it's a portfolio lead owning their portfolio. Um, having the tools and the ability uh, to manage those businesses or, um, you know, the, the tools and capabilities and, and just the empowerment to build um, a practice like product design and doing that within agencies is, can be complex, especially a new capability like that. Inserting that into a, a 30 year old agency is not as easy as just hiring someone and building a team. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, uh, forming those capabilities um, and defining them, uh, defining the, the needs of people that we need to hire and or grow and, and educate and train up internally. Um, and then sort of the, ch the change management that's required around that in order to facilitate that and, and make it a healthy process so that those capabilities can grow.
Okay. How about for yourself? Ah, in the areas man, that you're focusing it, on. I have, I, I like many folks have too many areas to work on Cameron, yeah. uh, especially uh, blind spots, communications, um, patients, you know, I, I typically have the, am blessed and cursed with uh, being able to see a solution very quickly, blessed mm-hmm. because it comes quickly and, and cursed because um, I'm not always great at, at communicating the why of, of why we're headed towards that solution. So that's definitely something that I continuously need to work on and that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is when we're green, we're growing. When we're ripe, we're rotting. I think that was Ray Kroc from McDonald's that used to say that. <laughs> I love so, that. If, if we were to think back and you were to go back to kind of your your 22 year old self, you know, you're just finishing college, you're getting ready to start off in your career, and you were to be able to lean back and give Christian some advice, what advice would you give yourself that you wish you'd known back then, but you now know to be true? Uh, that. Um that things are never as simple as they seem. Um, and you know, the, and the counter to that is, I think if I look back at my 22 year old self, I believe that I could do anything. Uh, and, and I still believe that. And I think that that is, that is a cultural tenet that, um, that we try to, um, ensure that everyone embraces, right. Is that nothing's no challenge is too, too big to, to solve for. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but I think the my 22 year old self would be blind uh, to the complexities of making an organization run and all of the um, uh, all of the different perspectives um, and and organizations have uh, emotions, um, believe it or not. And you need to be oh, aware and and cognizant of those emotions um, to ensure that the the uh, happiness of the organization and the emotive qualities of the organization are cared for. And that only comes that for me, at least that has come with uh, many uh, stepping in it and, and, and causing a lot of emotional turmoil. And I probably, if you were to ask people here, I'd probably still do it. And it's something that I need to work on. Um, But I certainly wasn't aware of that, of it even existing uh, when I was 22 years old. That's a great insight. I don't, I don't know if I've actually even heard anyone even express it that way, that organizations have emotions and they really are kind of like the, the emotive pulse or uh, it's really interesting. Like I, I've talked about killing the energy in an organization, but not that they have emotions and kind of thinking of it that way. It's really interesting. Christian, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us today on the Second in Command podcast. Christian Barnard, the COO for T3. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Cameron. Talk to you soon. That was great. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.